When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome everyone to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast in all things marketing, advertising, and communications. I'm your host, Ted Lau, podcast host, award-winning agency owner, and full-time family guy. Today on the show, we have Chris Hodgson-Bright and Kamina Weasel-Moccasin with the Battle of the Belly River Project. A little bit of bios before we get started. Chris's background includes 11 years instructing the digital communications and media and multimedia production diploma programs at Lethbridge College. He has 20 years of experience in the media industry, which includes photography and covering various beats for weekly newspapers in Alberta and British Columbia. Chris worked in marketing and public relations, creating scripts, writing blogs, email newsletters, annual reports and marketing reports, and managing websites for economic development agencies. His research interests lie in innovative storytelling using 360-degree journalism, photogrammetry, virtual reality, and other elements to bring a piece to life. Camino Weasel Moccasin is a member of the Kainai Nation and part of the Many Children Clan. She is currently one of the curators at the Galt Museum and Archives, a Gaysami Tokkanop and has been in her role for the past year. In addition to her museum work, Kamina is also pursuing a master's degree in anthropology at the University of Lethbridge, while also raising two small children, years five and three. For the past decade, Kamina has worked tirelessly at redeveloping institutional policies to better support nasitapi, traditional and ceremonial practices. And welcome, everybody. So thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, just wanted to hear a little bit more of the Battle of the Belly River Project. Can you guys tell us a little bit about what that is and, and what's going on at the city of Lethbridge? Yeah, if you want to take, if you want to go ahead, Chris, with your piece. Sure. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So um, this project really came about uh, in a neat way where um, I was invited into a reconciliation committee at Lethbridge College and met uh, a member of uh, the city of Lethbridge. Uh, his name is Perry Stein, and he had already connected with uh, the Galt Museum and uh, the Lethbridge Historical Society. And uh, they heard about some of the kind of innovative uh, stuff that we were doing with virtual reality, augmented reality, and and all that jazz at the college. And he thought, oh, would you be interested in joining this other group? And so uh, really um, got invited into, into this other group that was, was quite fascinating, where um, able to combine some of the applied research I was doing at the college with a larger cultural heritage grant that uh, we received to uh, really uh, get a better understanding and actually hearing voices um, the black voices that are so important to this Battle of the Belly River. So um, is is really uh, a rich and uh, exciting project that's just uh, really taken on a whole new level since since it started. Yeah. 
And so just so that I'm aware, maybe your audience might not be a, a might, might not know about this as well, but what is the uh, the Battle of the Belly River? So this was an event that happened in 1870 um, in what is today the current city of Lethbridge. So there was a group of Blackfoot that were camped near the river and uh, a group of Crees that had um, started out in the Saskatchewan area and had um, decided that they were going to move west and to annihilate the Blackfoot group so that they can then claim the resources and claim the territory. So there's a couple of um, big historical things that are happening around that time. Um, so a lot of the starvation and the disease um, that was happening really affected the numbers and had a lot of turmoil between the Indigenous groups across the nation. And so for the Blackfoot, they had actually just experienced a smallpox epidemic. The Cree had heard about this and had decided that the Blackfoot were the most vulnerable and that was the time that they should have this attack. So as they were actually traveling west, they had met up with a group of Assiniboine warriors who decided that they were going to join them and continue west. Uh, but one thing that they did not realize was that the Blackfoot had actually just got done having our Sundance ceremony. So there was not just one tribe, there were multiple tribes um, and many thousands of Blackfoot people camped in that area. And so when the attack had happened, um, it was very, um, very uneven numbers. And so the Blackfoot had actually had a, a very swift victory over the Cree group that were there. Um, and so it's been over 150 years since that battle has happened. Um, and it's a, a big part of the city of Lethbridge his history. And so it's one that we felt um, needed to and, and should be highlighted. Wow, it sounds like uh, quite the intense battle. And uh, unfortunately, they were crashing a party and, and basically... <laughs> got their, their butts handed to them is what, what, I, what I'm told. Okay, well, so that that's good. So then this is a very interesting project. How, Chris, did you, do you feel that it, it from a marketing perspective, you know, um, let's let's talk about that. What, what was your interest in how, how are you peaked to it? Because, you know, you got the whole, you know, your history's got 360 degree journalism, photogrammetry, all that kind of stuff. And so how, how does that get involved from, from a marketing perspective? Yeah, so I think uh, the most important thing uh, as a journalist is making sure that you provide the context and the important um, information that a reader or viewer can really understand your story uh, as, as much as possible. So an exciting element of this project has been photogrammetry, which is uh, we are able to get a hold of some of the artifacts um, from the battle that are, again, 150 years old take photos of them, about 100 photos of each artifact, turn that into a digital file that you can actually rotate 360 degrees and you can manipulate that on a screen. Uh, we also 3D printed that and painted it to match the artifacts. So we have some replicas of the artifacts, which is really exciting. Um, but just, uh, I think that photogrammetry aspect can be a really compelling way to have that greater understanding of stories that sometimes uh, we know nothing about. So I think that 
important aspect was was really fascinating as well as virtual reality to get people to be totally immersed in an environment where they uh, get to hear the story from Blackfoot elders. They get to see Blackfoot elders speaking to them as they're hearing that story, plus integrating almost like dreamlike or ethereal um, animations, 3D animations of the story as they're watching it. So again, to get a really strong understanding of what happened in the story. Um, so it's, it's very um, immersive and, and you kind of activate all of your senses as you participate in this. And so we thought that was a really compelling way to tell a story in a, in a new way and maybe to hopefully um, excite and engage with the young Indigenous audience and audiences across the country and around the world to really understand the significance of this of this battle. That's great. And then so with, with the significance of this battle and now we're, we're telling it, is it completely virtual then? So if we go to the museum, we're seeing this all on displays or can we visit it you know I'm, I'm in vancouver like can i just go online and, and check out some of the artifacts so it's still kind of in motion we're still finalizing the project as we speak uh for for my participation it's been like since last june up until the end of this june um, where i've been trying to ensure that we have this all ready to go for, for the end of June. And so what happens there from that point is we're hoping to have um, a variety of ways to showcase this. So if people don't like virtual reality, for example, they could perhaps uh, hear a walking audio tour through the River Valley. Um, so it could be um, through a, a podcast app or another way to engage with it, maybe from the Galt Museum website we're finalizing all these details. Another way could be watching drone footage of say writing on stone or head smashed in Buffalo jump, talking about significant uh, Blackfoot uh, places in Southern Alberta here. So they could see that projected on the wall. Um, they could maybe uh, look at the artifacts on a computer screen and, and adjust and manipulate those and scale them up. So they have a really good understanding of what the artifacts were and, and what it meant to the battle. So many different ways to engage with this project. And yeah, we're just, we're still kind of, we have so many people interested in showcasing it. Just want to make sure that we present it in a way that's kind of like a full package so that no matter uh, what way you want to engage with it, you have a really strong understanding of what happened. Yeah, okay. and I think that's one of the, the great things about this project is it has different levels of accessibility in actually um, engaging with this information, engaging with the history and the stories. Um, so Chris had kind of mentioned like a possible walking tour, um, but for people who, you know, might not, you know, walking in the coolies isn't very easy for them, um, where, you know, there's also talks of an exhibit in the museum um, for people who, like yourself, are actually in another province, then that's where, you know, the work that Chris has been doing with the virtual reality is really great because then anybody can really tap into that and, and be connected to this story. Okay. And then with this story, Kamina, you know, from the Kainai perspective, you know, being a member of the nation there, how important is the story to, to your people? Um, it's, it's an important event because it actually um, when you say that it happened 150 years ago, that sounds like a long time, but it's actually very recent in the minds of the Nitsitapi people, where some of the um, elders that we have talked to 
they're saying, I heard this story from my grandpa and his dad was in this battle. Right. And so that's very close. That's almost for them that that's reaching out. Right. That's just within their arm's length. Um, for some of them, it's, you know, I I remember that great grandparent. I remember them like they were actually alive when I was alive. So this event is still very close to the people in our history. Um, and I think for this project, again, being able to tell it from our perspective, using our voices. Um, I think that's one of the really interesting things for myself, being Blackfoot, undergoing this research with Blackfoot people. I feel that it's affected the questions that I ask, the answers that I'm receiving, and even the ways in which understanding this project. So all of that is, I, th I feel very special for, for the community as a whole. Yeah, and then in our in our pre-call, we talked about Indigenous storytelling and the importance of telling it your way from your your nation's point of view. And so maybe help us understand how that's perhaps different, you know, both from a technological standpoint, just from a context standpoint, from maybe even five, ten years ago. Well, I think the the biggest example and the best example that I have right now um, that I've kind of been been speaking about with this project is the previous publications on this event, um, all from a settler colonial perspective. And when they talk about this event, um, it's very localized in time. It's just this one day, you know, these couple of hours, um, and it's very localized geographically. So within this one um, coulee that leads down into this specific river bottom. Um, and they actually attribute the Blackfoot success to the technology that they had. So the Blackfoot people had access to the repeating rifle and the Cree and Assiniboine group still had the musket. And so from that outsider's perspective, thinking about the, um, the impact that the European culture had on these groups and seeing, oh, these ones had a superior weapon and so they had one. Um, but when I sat down with the elders, those three themes, or I guess those three things I noticed um, were vast different. So when I would sit down and say, you know, I'd like to hear any stories that you have about this battle. It was often, well, before I talk about that, you need to know about this. And so they talk about interactions between Blackfoot and Cree groups that happened years and even generations before this event happened. So whereas before it was this very localized, you know, time, now it's spanning generations, the information that leads up to this. Um, they would tell the story about the battle and then some of them would say, and after that, and again, they were sharing stories or events years after, even generations after the battle had happened. And so, so another, like, oh, sorry. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. No, as I say, so geographically as well, um, the first attack actually happened um, kilometers away from what is today Lethbridge um, in another small town called Monarch. And so again, geographically, that has really grown. But I think the biggest difference in talking with the elders is it's clear within the community that our victory actually came from um, our ceremony and our spiritual connections. Because one story had talked about an elder that dreamed of the group coming, 
days before they had attacked. And so he kind of put everybody on guard and said, you know, I had this dream. Something might be happening. You know, people sleep with your horses tied to your tent and, you know, keep weapons with you. Um, and then even in the midst of the battle, there was one Cree warrior that was taunting the Blackfoot and none of them were able to hit him. And then an elder picked out one young man about 14 and told him, smoke this pipe and then you take the shot. And so in the midst of this battle with all this gunshot and hand-to-hand combat, this young boy sat down with a pipe. He smoked the pipe and he prayed. And then he stood up with a bow and arrow and he actually delivered a kill shot. And so all of those things, again, the Blackfoot never say, you know, oh, we won because we had these rifles. It's, you know, the stories of our spirituality. Those are what they're highlighting and what they attribute to us actually being successful in that battle. Okay. And so it sounds like the experiences coming from, basically a multitude of occasions that kind of led to this boiling point as it were of of this event, but also that there's multifaceted layers and makes the storytelling experience much richer. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, because it's, it's interesting that it's, it's a collective story in that, you know, this, this happened to the Blackfoot people, but within that collective story, there are so many individual stories where, again, we have these people saying, oh, my great grandfather, you know, he had this hand to hand combat with this individual. This is specifically what happened to him in that battle. So that it's those individual stories are the ones that, you know, we're, we're really interested in hearing right now, because those are the ones that weren't being listened to initially. It was this one larger collective story that was being told. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And I find it interesting because, you know, Ballistic Arts, uh, my company, we've gone through a little bit of Indigenous community relations training just to understand as settlers, you know, how we can be be better allies. And you touched upon a few things that I I found quite interesting in in so far as you said, you know, hey, this, while it was 150 years ago, was quite recent from an ancestral standpoint. And this was actually something that was communicated to us when we were doing this training that, you know, uh, as settlers, we might think, okay, well, you know, it's me, my family, that's it kind of thing. But, but a lot of indigenous folks will actually think, well, where do you come from? Where are your people? What, what are your generations all the way back to as far back as you can go? And it sounds like that this, this presentation, this, this, uh, event that we're having, uh, at the Galt museum is, is going to 
really tell the story from from that indigenous point of view and and it sounds like something that needs to be done more often so this might be one way of doing it have you seen others in other parts of the nation tell their story in a way that's a little bit more indigenous focused Not really for myself. I'm not sure whether you have experience with that, Chris. No, no, that's, I think that's a part of the excitement of this project is just, uh, it's um, first time that I've really been involved or some, seen something similar of this, um, this way that this story has been told. I remember um, Matt Wright is another graduate of Lethbridge College and he has a company in Calgary. Uh, it's changed names now. I think it's Lion's Head Entertainment, but he was with Mammoth XR in Calgary and he went to writing on stone and there was another story that was told. So it combined an elder telling the story with some animation. And so um, that was some of the inspiration for, for some of the work that's happening in this virtual reality experience. Um, and he was very encouraged by the fact that uh, we were doing this project. He's like, he's like, yeah, it's about time that you guys are doing something like this down in Lethbridge. And, uh, some of the elders that we spoke with as well have been so encouraged. And so that is something that's very exciting because if we can maintain this strong relationship of trust and telling the story a way that they um, really like the end product and it's something that they think is a really great way to share with more people, perhaps this is the first of, of many stories that can be told in this fashion. So um, very, very exciting for uh, what can be ahead so yeah and if i can ask so you guys are both doing kind of more of the research side of this especially you i think camina you've been speaking with elders what advice do you have for other marketing and communications experts out there professionals that are maybe wanting to take on a project like this but wanting to do it in in the way that's going to honor the past and honor the nations that were involved what advice do you have the first thing that pops into my head is, um, this kind of sounds counterintuitive, but throw timelines out the window. <laughs> I, and that that's very difficult, I understand, especially when you're applying for grants and trying to access grants. And, you know, you have people that you're accountable to who are looking for, um, you know, they're, they're looking for um, concrete um, sorry, I'm losing the word, but um, like a deliverable outcomes. Yeah. Yes. So they're they're looking for these, you know, these concrete outcomes, these deliverables, specific deliverables. But when you're working with indigenous communities, it's important to remember that they have different priorities, and those priorities can very easily and very quickly shift depending on what's happening in the community and what they're having to deal with, um, what type of, you know, different traumas or crises that, that pop up for them. Um, and so that's one thing that I started sitting down and doing interviews a year ago. Um, I'm still, you know, I still have a list of people that want to sit with me, but for one reason or another, it hasn't worked out for us to sit down. Um, 
And I even have transcripts that, you know, have been sitting for months waiting for an elder to come and give final approval on them. And again, you know, one reason or another, we have a date set up and then this elder will call me, you know, this came up or this, I have to go to this ceremony. And, you know, it's, it's just allowing them that time and that space. Um, so I think that's one thing when, when you're on the research side of things, you know, uh, I think a lot of times, especially if you're coming from like academia, right, you're, you're used to like this deadline, you got to meet it because, you know, the following deadline really depends on you meeting that first one. And, but as we go along, it's kind of like, well, Chris has been waiting on transcripts for me for probably about six months now, and he still hasn't gotten them. <laughs> right. And so those are some of the things that come up that I think that, um, um, cultural differences. I don't know if you want to like, it's, it's almost like two different worlds, right. When thinking about time and somebody has a deadline or a timeline and another person's like, I understand that, but you know, that's pretty far down on my priority list because I have all of these other things happening in the community. So your project can wait a little bit. Um, and just having respect and, and patience in, in those relationships that that's very key. Chris, anything to add to that? Yeah, no, that's uh, summed up so well. I think it's it's been really enlightening just to, for example, we had an opportunity on the anniversary of the battle to go to Fort Whipup and sit in the teepee and hear the story from the elders. So we had both Mike Bruisedhead and Peter Weasel Moccasin who shared with us. We were thinking it was going to be an hour. It turned into a three-hour session of telling the story, and it was like, we were frozen in time because we stepped out of that teepee and we're like, wow, that was three hours. It almost felt like a half an hour or like 15 minutes. And just the power of storytelling and being in that teepee, hearing it firsthand and sharing that with a group of people was, was so special. And uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, timelines and uh, thinking of, of what you'd like to accomplish and um, by a certain time or, or things like that, like lunch had to shift that day, big deal. Like it was so special just to have that time and have it not be interrupted by cell phones beeping or our distractions or whatever else that we get pulled in every single day. Uh, but again, to have that incredibly special moment there with those elders hearing that story, it was just an honor to be there to begin with. And then you work around that and you and that's what's been great working with Kamina this whole time is that I bounce ideas off her repeatedly. How about this? How about this? Should we approach it this way? How about this? And so that has been so nice and encouraging to have somebody like Kamina, who's just obviously so knowledgeable of the way to approach people and the respectful way to go about things. And just also to to meet some incredible individuals um, like we have Shirley Crowshoe, who narrates uh, this experience in virtual reality. And we have Edna Bad Eagle, who does a traditional Northern dance um, to signify uh, the victory of, or the, the pride and joy of having their warriors come back home safely to their families and, and having that all become part of this experience. Just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very special. And so um, when I was starting to look at the people who have contributed to this project, I, I get up to at least 30 because there's just so many people around the community, uh, not even including all the people that Kamina has spoke with as well. So 
um, just to have that kind of support that uh, there's a lot of people who are trusting you to tell the story the right way and in a very respectful way. Um, and so it's just having that feeling of support, trust, and encouragement um, has been phenomenal. It's, it's quite a special feeling to be involved in a project of this. So, yeah. So I want to ask a couple of more controversial questions, I think. I'm, you know, might as well. Love it. So we talked about how there is the kind of colonial way of telling the story, which was technology. It's a couple hours, an event, et cetera. And so there's differences between how, you know, the Blackfoot tell it and how we might have heard of it from colonized history. But from a generational standpoint, I wanted to understand, you know, Kamina, you're of a younger generation, newer generation, and you're saying, yeah, the elders, they, they, something comes up, maybe, you know, time is a little bit longer, but is there a, a generational difference, you know, given the fact that, I mean, I just had Mother's Day with, with my parents and, and, you know, oh my goodness, I can tell you the, a bunch of generational gaps that, that, ex, that we experience <laughs> in our household. So I'm wondering how does that how does that work in, in your world and how do you navigate that? So I guess, um, for myself reflecting on it, um, what I see as kind of generational differences, a lot of the elders, as they're sharing these stories, a lot of times they're telling me, you know, where they were when they first heard this story. And for a lot of them, they were sitting in that river bottom. And, you know, they're talking about, oh, yeah, you know, back in the early to mid 60s, you know, the this city was still really new. And there was a road that came down into the river bottom, but, you know, it wasn't a park like it is now. And so people would just drive into the trees and dig a fire pit and, you know, we'd we'd barbecue our lunch. And and so for some of them, you know, that was kind of like they're setting up the the space or, you know, the um their surrounding of where they've actually heard this story. And so for their generations, they were still, um, I would say, still connecting to place in a very real way in that they're brought to a place and then they're told the stories of that place. Whereas feel that my generation have been taught these stories in the buildings at behind a school desk or at the kitchen table, um, not necessarily being brought to these places in the same ways that our parents were. Um, that's not to say it doesn't happen at all. It does still happen, but I would say not at the same level or the same magnitude that it did for our parents and our grandparents. Um, so in that aspect, I feel that there is somewhat of that disconnect um, and so it would be interesting to see, again, kind of like this approach that we're taking with the following next upcoming generation where it's still somewhat of a disconnect because your virtual reality, but in a way it's trying to reconnect because even though you're sitting in a building, you know, maybe you're behind a school desk or whatever, you have this headset on and your mind feels that it's on that landscape. It's with those elders. It's, you know, um, connected to that place. So it'll be really interesting to see, I guess, how, how younger generations, younger than me, are 
feel about about this approach with this project and, and with this VR? Well, maybe I should start telling stories to my daughter in VR because I'll tell you, sometimes <laughs> I tell stories to her and she's just rolling her eyes like, can this be over? And I'm not spending three hours. I'm spending maybe three minutes. So, I mean, that's that's interesting. The the story is a is a Blackfoot story from what I from what I gather just in this conversation here. And and you know, maybe coming from the world of journalism and communications, I'm always told to hear from all sides. So it sounds like this was a lot of research with your elders with the Blackfoot Nation. There is another party that was involved. And so yeah. is there any involvement with them whatsoever? With the so what, what's interesting with this, um, I guess I should just explain, like with the battle, um, a lot of the accounts that we are hearing is that there were, um, again, you know, numbers are unsure, but, you know, thousands of Blackfoots and hundreds of the Cree Assiniboine group. Um, I think, I think the largest estimation I heard was about 600. Um, but there's accounts that say at, by the end of the battle that there was only a handful left that had actually survived um, and that actually five that had left the battle, but, you know, only two, one or two that actually made it home and had survived once they had gotten there. Um, and so a lot of, for them, for their side, a lot of those individual stories that we're talking about, you know, they, they didn't have that opportunity to get passed on. So very much for the Cree Assiniboine people, it's more of a collective story. Um, but again, it's one that, um, you know, different perspectives of it, right? So one of the, the stories that comes out, um, and th this has been told on both sides, both the Cree and the Blackfoot, is that when the Cree had started out, one of their warriors had had a dream about a buffalo with steel horns that just ravaged through the Cree people. And he had said, you know, this is a bad omen. We shouldn't continue. We should go back. And so that there was actually some of the young warriors that started to ridicule this man um, and just kind of, you know, brush off his dream. But a handful of them did turn back. Um, and then the rest had continued and it was kind of like, well, you know, we know how that story had ended. Um, and so from their side, the way they tell it, of course, you know, it, it's very much different. And the outcome because of that um, is very different as well. In the initial research, um, the three publications, I believe that they, they did reach out to a few of um, people in the Cree communities. For this research, again, we just felt strongly that, um, I guess for myself personally being Blackfoot, Blackfoot researcher in Blackfoot territory, we just wanted to highlight the Blackfoot perspectives of this battle. But again, that's one thing that we've talked about, you know, um, moving forward. Of course, we, that is, you know, that opportunity is there. We would like to eventually um open up into the Cree community and kind of get some of their perspectives and some of their history around that battle. But again, our community, our priorities are right now 
just just telling the story from our voice. So I think that's a really great perspective there. And I, I want to talk about how we open up this to the nation, the story to the nation, uh, internationally. You know, if you, I just came back to Vancouver from a trip, a business trip a little while ago, and I, I forget how, how our airport, the Vancouver International Airport, has a lot of Indigenous artwork there. And so we are, I think, as a nation, slowly trying to put that foot forward and try to tell that story. How do you see that this this project move that forward internationally for for Canada and and maybe even from a tourism lens lens? Well, I think this could be used as a, a great example for again indigenous communities really highlighting their stories. Um, I think that's a big thing that you know basically from the history of colonization indigenous communities have been denied the opportunity for self-determination a lot of history books textbooks you know those are written about our people from outsiders looking in not fully understanding the culture the values um, the way of thinking and so for any indigenous community across the nation to really use their voices you know their art forms um, you know, their, their ways of, of telling story to really put to the forefront, this is who we are, this is our identity. I think that's very important and, and something that that's way past due. Okay. And I guess, Chris, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I, I, I think she summed it up really well. Um, I think, yeah, the ability to uh, have these opportunities for these stories to be shared, the tourism aspect of learning about uh, the history across across Canada. And yeah, this is this is one story for the Blackfoot people, but yeah, so many stories from the different nations across this country. It would be uh, fascinating if, if more of these projects are developed and uh, be really exciting to see how that kind of evolves and plays out. So I'm interested to check this out. This project sounds very, very cool with all the VR and the photogrammetry and just the, the richness of the storytelling. So I'm going to ask, I don't know if you can answer this, but when can I check this out either online or in person? Uh, well, we're hoping that it's September of this year, uh, at least for an initial look at the project. And then, um, Kamina can probably answer this better than I can because, again, there's so many different exhibits that are happening, seems weekly at the Galt Museum to line this up and find a really good time to showcase it. Uh, so I'll let Kamina <laughs> continue. But yeah. yeah, so in terms of um, like the exhibit, like an actual museum exhibit, um, right now we're thinking uh, probably around like fall 2024 um, that we would have that available to, to the public. Um, but as Chris was mentioning, um, like the VR this this fall, um, if there is a publication, you know, that that might come sometime after the exhibit. Um, but some of the programming, I'm thinking it, it can happen probably by the end of this year or beginning of, of 2024. So, um, again, it's one of those like 
throw timelines out the window. (laughs) We can plan for these things, but really who knows how long it'll take. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, some of the best, best movies out there and books, you know, they get delayed or, or, you know, but you got a fan base, they're going to come looking. So how do we follow along right now? You know, from an audience standpoint, how do we, how do we keep this at the top of our minds? Um, so we do have like a, a, a web page as part of the, the Galt Museum um, and Archives website. Um, so on there right now is just kind of like a, a very brief invitation about about the project um, and reach out for, for people who do have stories and are interested in engaging with, with the project. Um, and then as as parts of this develop, that's going that'll um, regularly get updated. Okay, well. We're excited and please come back when this thing launches and maybe we can talk a little bit more about this story. It's a great piece of history that we all want to hear more about. So I want to thank you both, uh, Chris Hodgson-Bright and Kamina Weasel-Moxon for your time today. We're really looking forward to this project about the Battle of the Belly River. So That's it, everybody, for uh, episode of Marketing News Canada. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.